Do you want this? I would like that, thank you. Okay, sorry for the sweat. Has anyone got a cloth? Um, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> oh dear. Good morning, everyone. Right, um, as Rob says, my name is Ed. I am part of the leadership team here at church. I am starting a new series on prayer. Um, but I personally see this very much as a continuation of the last three weeks. If you were around over the last three weeks, we've looked at uh, words of knowledge, we've looked at healing, and we've looked at speaking in tongues, so some of the spiritual gifts. And I believe that prayer is a spiritual gift, and it continues through in that theme that actually we are going to be continuing to really engage with God in this way. And so I I want us to keep those things in mind, really, that actually we want to be seeking those gifts that build up and encourage the church, those of words of knowledge, those of healing, those of speaking in spiritual, spiritual languages, but also those of other languages as well. And I'll be honest with you, I really struggle to know how to start this preach. Um, it's, I, I've written out stories, I've written out ideas, I've written out questions, I've had quizzes, all kinds of things. But I've settled largely this morning actually on just chatting to you a little bit about why I found it difficult. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I absolutely love prayer. Um, prayer is one of the most amazing things about the Christian faith and for me it's something I'm really passionate about and really care about and I think why I've really struggled because I don't know where I would be without it and so this morning you'll have to forgive me um, for just being quite passionate about this whole mystery and ministry of prayer because I think there is some mystery in there I think there's some ministry in there I think there's some real power but I also think that we as Christians run the risk and we struggle sometimes to engage with the depth and the breadth of what that actually really means for us. And I struggle with that even at times where I'm just like, there is even more than just this. And that's the thing I find really exciting about this next series. It's the thing I find really challenging as well, is that even when we think we've got it and we understand it, that there's even more. And I I just... I don't fully know how to articulate this starting point, so I'm sorry, basically, is what I'm saying. And the golden rule of speaking is you're not supposed to ever apologize. Um, You guys have all lost trust in me now, okay? That's what they say. But um, I'm really excited to talk about the mystery, the ministry, and the power of prayer this morning. And I hope that you're excited about engaging with that as an idea and engaging with that as a concept. And I hope that today we will go away understanding a little bit more about what prayer is, what it means... And, um, yeah, this morning it's uh, officially titled by, by me, apparently, um, a while back, is uh, called to prayer. And what is prayer would be my kind of initial opening question that I, I sort of explored around. And I'm sure all of us have different views on prayer. Perhaps some of us will think of uh, being down on your hands and knees by your bed, saying your prayers before you go to sleep. Um, you've got the classic hands together, eyes closed. Anybody remember that from school? Yeah, okay, great. Um, perhaps it's uh, before dinner, holding hands. Is anybody uh, holding hands family before dinner? Yep, good. Okay, great. Or perhaps we're singing um, the Superman thing. You know, thank you, Lord, for giving us food. Um, If you don't know that one, come and see me afterwards. That's um, that's the Adams Family one as well. Anyway, um, 
I could go for a while. I've got a lot of singing prayer things from uh, from growing up. Uh, perhaps it ends with an amen or an amen. Um, we've got different camps in the house. Raise hands for an amen. Okay. About a third, maybe. And an amen. Can I get an amen? You guys will want to shout it as well, won't you? So, yeah, maybe it's about 50-50. Yeah, so there's, there's some amens in there. Maybe some hallelujahs for good measure. Um, some hallelujah people. Ending in Jesus' name. You know, there's, that'll be in there. Perhaps when you think of prayer, you think of the Lord's Prayer. Perhaps you think of waiting in silence before God. Perhaps you think about placing prayers and asking questions of God, asking God to intervene and move in areas of your life. Perhaps you think about a deep sense of communing with the divine and communing with God as your Father. And perhaps there are even more things that I can't even think of right now that prayer means to you. So prayer, alongside being something I'm really passionate about, is something a lot of people have opinions on and a lot of people are really passionate about. Some really passionate people here. But where does the idea of prayer come from? Because something I find really interesting is that prayer is, it permeates almost every single religion in the world. And not just that, but 20% of atheists admit to praying. Who the heck are they praying to? Seriously, are they praying to themselves? Because, I mean, that's not going to help. Um, but prayer is a really interesting thing. There is a blueprint placed on every person's life in this world for prayer. Every single person, whether they know it or not, as the atheists confess to, they're up for a bit of prayer. Okay? Prayer is imprinted on every single one of us. And so for the answer about what is prayer or where does it come from, I felt like I had to go right back to the very beginning because that's where the model comes from, isn't it? It comes from creation. We had to look at our creator God to understand what he's built into each and every one of us. And so Adam and Eve, what were those interactions between God and the first human beings like. Now, we're all familiar with the story, right? There's a guy called Adam, there's a lady called Eve, there's a snake, and there's a bit of fruit, sometimes called an apple, um, involved in this story. And uh, it goes that the snake tempts Adam and Eve to eat it, they eat it, and then God appears on the scene. And I'm just going to pull this little bit of scripture out um, as a kind of starting point, where it says uh, in Genesis 3, 8 to 9, it says, When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? And the first thing that jumps out to me is that this isn't something that is new. Okay, God hasn't turned up because something's gone wrong and he's there and he's going, right, Adam and Eve, I know they've done something wrong. I'm going to get down there right now. I'm going to sort these two people out. This is something in here that there is an expectation that in the cool of the day, God will meet with Adam and Eve. They were expecting him. He was expecting to find them. They were expecting to be found. So they hid. So they hid. And I think there's something in this passage that hints at this habitual relationship between God and humanity. It's implied there were regular times. But it's interesting that the first recorded incident of prayer or communing with God in this kind of way happens after the fall. And I don't know about you, I keep a diary because I'm a very sad person, also because I'm someone who forgets a lot what I do with my life. It's very interesting to read back. But when I first started writing my diary, I wrote down loads of stuff. 
I wrote down everything that happened. I was really excited. Well, I walked to work today. I saw a pigeon. It was very exciting. There were all these people there. I said hi to this person. They said hi back. It was a very nice conversation. I wrote all this stuff down. But over time, my diary has got shorter and shorter as these things have become more and more habitual and more and more routine. I don't write in my diary anymore than I walk to work. I don't write in my diary that I saw a rat as I walked through Lister Park. There's always a rat in Lister Park. It's just always there. And so I think the interesting thing for us as we start to explore this, this whole idea of prayer is that actually something was different here. And that is why this is written into the book. Something is different. Something's changed. Something's changed. But what it tells us is that that habitual nature, that part of the lifestyle thing, that must be part of our understanding of what it looks like to live a restored view and a restored relationship with God. That it must become so normal in our lives to commune with God, to speak with God, to pray and interact with God. That we don't need to write it down in our diary, I prayed today. I spent some time in prayer. And alongside that, there's this element of not hiding anything, not hiding anything of ourselves from God in that restored view of the world. And I think the big thing for me, a big thing for me that I wanted to draw out of this, is it reveals something very telling about prayer and who is the instigator of prayer. Because prayer is not something that we do to God but actually is something that God calls us into. The biblical picture of prayer, as laid out at the very beginning of the Bible, is God calling us into conversation and not the other way around. And you know, this morning, Rob's talked quite a bit about actually kind of placing the focus and putting God in the right place. And I think that's a real confirmation for me, because a lot of this morning I'm going to be talking about is in prayer, making sure we put God in the right place and we make prayer about him and not about us. And so I think we run this risk as Christians of feeling like prayer is some kind of obligation, that we must do prayer. Have you done your prayers? Have you ever felt that, uh, that need to do a quiet time um, or come to a prayer meeting? Don't get me wrong. I think all of these things are good in their own right. I think they're, they're important parts of Christian faith. But when they become some kind of expectation, some obligation, then pressure starts to sit around them. And when we get pressure, we get resentment. And when we get resentment, then ultimately we end up going through the motions and perhaps even then we run the risk of ending up in this place where we resent God. And I don't think prayer was ever meant to be something where we resented God. You know, if I asked you now, put your hands up. If you think prayer is about resenting God, no one would put their hands up. But... For many of us, we end up in this place where we feel like there's this pressure on our lives and it damages and it hurts the freedom that is supposed to come with faith in God through Christ Jesus. And so we have this thing where the footsteps of God are heard. The footsteps of God are heard in the Garden of Eden. And then his voice calling out, where are you? And that is the call that I believe that God is doing throughout history and throughout every single day of our lives. His footsteps approaching us. His voice calling us into prayer. Not the other way around. Not us saying, right, okay, 
It's 9.05. Better get into three minutes of prayer now quickly before um, the toast pops out of the toaster. God is calling us into prayer and not the other way around. God is searching for you. God is longing to meet with you. And this is a renewed picture of the world. This is a renewed picture of relationship with God, that we recognize that God is calling us into prayer. And I think sometimes we can pick up wrong views of prayer. Um, Sometimes we can look at stories like Abraham and Moses, where they wrestle with God and perhaps appear to change God's mind over some things. Um, in, the, in the case of Abraham, look at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah where there's a negotiation. Well, if we can find 50, then maybe 25, then 8 and 10. And certain numbers are kind of being thrown around there. Or where Moses intercedes on behalf of the, the nation of Israel as a whole. And it's a dangerous thing here where we start to think that on these occasions, Moses and Abraham have more compassion for people than God does. I want to I just tackle this right now, that in prayer, this isn't something where they have more compassion than God does for people. God has more compassion than they do, but he is inviting them into this wrestle, and he's inviting them into that for a purpose, to do something in their hearts. It's not like God is going, oh, well, I'm going to destroy all these people, but I should probably run that by Moses before I do, just to make sure I'm not doing anything crazy here. God is actually inviting them into a wrestle, and God is always more compassionate than them. God is always more compassionate than we are, and it's actually our compassion that needs to grow, not God's in each one of these situations. It's Moses' compassion for the Israelites that needs to grow in that situation where he's interceding on their behalf. It is Abraham's compassion for a, a very difficult group of people to love that needs to grow in that situation. And that is what God is calling us into, not into a situation of us making demands and thinking that actually prayer is about us doing something there. God is always going to be more compassionate. God is always going to love that person more than you are. God is always going to care more about that situation than you ever will. And so as we look at prayer, remember that it's God in filling us with more of his view of the world and more of what it means to look like him in this world than it is the other way around of us trying to convince God to make the world the way that we want it to be, for good or for bad. If you're praying anything good and a good change into a situation, guess what? It's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in your life working to build and develop that gift and that understanding in you and not the other way around in our Father God. And maybe that's something that perhaps for you, you need to realize today, that that thing that you're desperate for in prayer, you're not there trying to convince God and change his mind about something, but actually that he has more compassion for that thing than you ever will. And that he is doing something in you. He is revealing more of his heart for that thing in that wrestle. And so each time that issue rises up in your heart, each time that frustration happens for you, that's the footsteps of God approaching you. Just like the footsteps of God were heard in the Garden of Eden. And just like the voice of God called out, where are you? God is calling out to you, where are you on this issue right now? Where are you right now? Are you ready to go deeper? Are you ready to depend more on me for this situation? Because God is searching for you in prayer, not the other way around. 
God is searching and seeking you to bring you into prayer. And this is the renewed picture of what it means to be in relationship with God. And I think there's, uh, there's some other interesting things. I won't touch too much on this at this point. But the idea of footsteps being heard is this very interesting echo, very early stage of the incarnational God coming in the form of a human. That right at the very moment where humanity has just stepped into a sinful nature and has stepped into a broken relationship with God, we hear physical footsteps referenced. The incarnational nature echoing that at some point Jesus Christ will come as an incarnational human being and communicate with humanity and show us what it means to live in that relationship now that we're living on the other side of the fall. So, very quickly, let's deal with uh, with how God looks at their disobedience, this situation. They have done the thing that he asked them not to do. They've eaten the fruit, not good. Okay, so what does he do? He First, he asks, well, he asks them three questions over a period of time. He says, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Great question. Um, and uh, what is this you have done? Don't confuse yourself with any questions God ever asks humanity. He's not asking us to satisfy some kind of sense of curiosity in himself. Um, God already knew. He's not satisfying some curiosity. He knew what had happened. He knew who told them that they were naked. He knew what they'd done. He knew exactly where they were. But if someone is lost on their way to church this morning, they'd find you, what would be the first question you'd ask them? You'd go, where are you? Because you can't give them directions if you don't know where they are. Where are you? And uh, in our relationships with God this morning, he is asking us all that question. Where are you? We need to identify for ourselves where we are before we can start making progress towards God. So put yourself in Adam's shoes in this scenario. Where are you? Well, I'm in the bushes. Why are you in the bushes, Adam? I'm naked. Why are you naked? How did, how did you get to this information? And suddenly this, this shame, this embarrassment has changed something about this perfect relationship between Adam, Eve, and God. And so here's another thing that we learn about prayer from this story. God isn't interested in the fancy, polished language or the fancy, polished story. God meets them exactly where they are. He doesn't wait for them to work out how to fashion clothes out of fig leaves, as is often the way it's depicted in uh, children's stories. He doesn't wait for them to sort it all out and come to some realization. He meets them exactly where they are. Shamed, embarrassed, hiding in a bush. He doesn't mind where that is. He already knows where they are. And so many times we see Jesus in the New Testament teaching us, teaching us and reminding us that prayer isn't for show, but prayer is about us honestly and integrously communicating between us and God. And so then we get onto this question, well, who told you you were naked? Everything that Adam and Eve had known up until this point was God, came from God. And so the question implies that you've learned this from somewhere else. You've got this information from somewhere that isn't me. He's asking them, who have, you, who have you been listening to? What voice have you been listening to? And there are many things in this life that can pull us away from, from God. And it's not just time. 
You know, I'm not going to do a preach about how we need to make more time for God. Because, you know, we've all heard numerous preaches on that, I'm sure, at some point. We need to make more time for God. But there are things that can pull us away from God. Different voices. Voices of need. Voices of lack. Voices saying kind of preaching a poverty spirit around us that feeling that someone is keeping something from you maybe it's a a feeling you don't have everything you need everything you need that house maybe the promotion the job um, whatever it is for you perhaps it's the the fancy holiday or um, perhaps the body that you would uh, really like Um, yes of course Um, not one that I worry about too much Um, but In prayer, we see God dispelling all these illusions and bringing us to truth. But as soon as sin enters the world, as soon as there is a broken relationship between humans and between God, suddenly we find that all the world offers is need. All it offers is lack. All it offers is want. Suddenly there's this realization, I am naked. I don't have everything that I need. That is when sin enters the world, and that is the product of sin. But in God's eyes, he looked at Adam and Eve, and outwardly, they looked exactly the same. They were naked before they ate the apple, and they were naked after they ate the apple. In God's eyes, they still looked exactly the same. The only thing that had changed was their understanding, because a voice had come and spoken something different to the truth that God had about them and their lives. They were naked, they were exposed in their own view. But God looked at them and loved them exactly the same way as he had done beforehand. So we need to be careful about what voices are telling us and what voices are speaking to us. And if we're not spending time in prayer, then we are going to miss God dealing with some of those things in our lives. And then finally... Uh, we've got the, what is this you've done? It's a bit of a paraphrase, actually. He um, kind of asks it in different ways. Um, but first, we've got the, the classic uh, passing the book activity. Uh, we all like this one. Um, Adam, he blames Eve. Eve blames the snake. And ultimately, all of them are kind of just blaming God um, for this, this action. But the conversation turns, if you look, when you're reading through the scripture, the conversation turns at the point where... They hold up their hands and they confess. They hold up their hands and they confess. They say the words, I took it and I ate it. And there's a relief in honesty. I don't know about you, if there's something that perhaps has been hidden for a while and you get to the point of actually confessing something and suddenly there's a freedom about it. But in that scenario in, in, in Genesis, the focus of the attention of the conversation at the point where they confess what they did moves away from Adam and Eve and towards the snake. And the conversation changes there. At the point of confession, there is a change. Now, the consequences of their their sins, the consequences of their actions, still fall on them. They're still um, banished from the Garden of Eden. But what you do see is you you see them sent out with a care package. Good news. Free clothes. Um, Evidently, God does not abandon them. He provides for them. In their point of need. I'm hiding in the bushes because I'm naked. Okay, no worries. I'll give you some clothes. And God doesn't abandon them. We continually see throughout scripture the words, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And very much so at that, that moment where they are they're banished from the Garden of Eden, there is still that word spoken over their lives. 
How do we know this is true? Because if it wasn't true, we wouldn't have the Bible. That would literally be the end of the story. If God forsook them, forsook them? Is that a word? Half of you agree, half of you don't. You get where I'm going with it. God didn't forsake them. I'm going to reword that sentence. Um, And perhaps that's something that you need to hear today. That God hasn't abandoned you because of a mistake that you made in the past. Through prayer and relationship, you can come back to him in that stuff. But ultimately, because you're working through perhaps the consequence of a mistake, an action, a sin, or something like that, that doesn't mean that God isn't with you. That doesn't mean that God doesn't care about you, and it doesn't mean that God isn't still providing for you. You need to lift your gaze up from that thing and go, you know what, yeah. I am dealing with the consequences of that action. I am dealing with the reality of that. But God has not forsaken me in this. And every time those, those thoughts creep into your mind about something that you've done in the past, and it starts to steal, rob, or destroy some of the joy of the reality of what God has done for you, you need to remind yourself that God did not forsake Adam and Eve, and he is not forsaking you in that moment. And so I wanted to bring us... As a, as a start point to our journey looking at prayer, a real understanding of where prayer came from and where it came from in that understanding of a relationship with God and that call to restore what was broken at the fall. The re- relationship with God was normal. It was that a missed diary entry because it was just so much part of life. And I find it a helpful view of prayer to get us started on this journey as well. Because it keeps the focus and it keeps the attention of prayer on God. So often we run the risk of making prayer about us. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's healthy and I don't think that's actually prayer. We need to keep the focus and attention on God. It is him who calls us into prayer and not the other way around. It is him that is changing our hearts and drawing us deeper into him. It is him that is restoring us and recommissioning us and resetting us on the pathway towards righteousness. And it is in prayer where we find forgiveness and it is in prayer where we find truth, the real antidote to the lack and the need that the world preaches. And most importantly... What I think we can draw out of this, this passage is that prayer was designed for absolutely everyone. Prayer is not just about some super spiritual elite who go and do all the praying on the church's behalf or on our behalf. And we can kind of outsource it and go, well, those guys are doing the prayer and... Uh, I'm going to be over here reading my Bible. I'm going to be over here doing the social action. I'm going to be over here um, doing whatever it is that you're doing. Prayer is for everybody. It is that inbuilt thing that is part of the blueprint for what life looks like for someone in relationship with God. So if you find yourself looking at the prayer team and going, well, the prayer's for them to do. Or the 930 group of people who get together on a Sunday morning and pray and go, that's for them to do. I want to tell tell you now and I challenge you now that that is not a biblical view of prayer. Prayer is for everyone. Prayer is for every day. It should be part of our lives. And so for us to truly live in a redeemed and restored relationship with God, if we're working towards bringing heaven on earth, bringing God's kingdom here on earth, then we need to be working towards bringing this blueprint and bringing this model into our relationship with God. And after all, 
If 20% of atheists are doing it, we flipping, flipping better be better than atheists, like, you know, at the end of the day. And so, so for me, I think it all fits together well under the Greek word uh, that they use for prayer, okay? No preachers allowed without a bit of Greek in it these days, it would appear. Um, just for reference, Greek's the language for the New Testament, in case anyone wasn't familiar. Um, um, but the word is prosyush, I think, is, uh, can we get that? Yeah, prosyush. Okay, two words put together, very nice. Um, Pros, uh, to mean closeness or movement towards something. And actually, when we see in uh, John 1, in uh, in the Gospel of John, what it says there, when he says the word was with God and the word was God, the word with there is actually pros in the Greek. So the idea of being with together, that closeness. But I think there's a really interesting thing when you get on to think about the yush in there. I like saying yush. Should use this more often. Yush, desire, vow, or surrender. And if we just take one half of pros yush, and we just do the pro, and we're all about the the closeness and the moving towards, we miss out some of the really interesting stuff. That actually there is a submission element, there is a, a commitment element, and so when we're thinking about this. We've got to desire closeness. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to be thinking about. Desiring closeness with God. Desiring that we should come face to face to God. Not just face to face, but we should surrender our lives for this. We should surrender our lives for his in prayer. That idea of making a vow and being obedient to God. Because the thing that I think about prayer that's important is that prayer needs to change us. Prayer needs to change us. And if it's not changing us, it's not prayer. And uh, yeah, I'll say that again. If it's, not, if it's not changing us, then it's not prayer. Because there is this de- desire of closeness with God, which is really important. But as we meet with the Creator, as we meet with the Father God, whose pattern and way of living is so holy and so set apart from the way of the world, we, we must be changed by that. We have to be changed by that. Otherwise, it's not prayer. And so I want to leave us with this challenge today to draw near to God, to surrender to God our lives for his through prayer. But I also want to leave us with a little encouragement. Leave us with a little encouragement. Got some good news. Prayer can be taught. Okay, even for slow learners like me, prayer can be taught. Okay. The disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And so I want to make that our prayer for us as a church over the next seven weeks as we look at this. But I want it to be a prayer over all of our lives. Not just today, not just over the next seven weeks, but for the rest of our lives. Teach us to pray. So let's join um, now and let, let's pray together. Father God, we ask you this morning to teach us to pray. To teach us to pray. God, don't let prayer become something that we miss. Don't let prayer be something that we uh, avoid. Don't let prayer become something that feels like an obligation or an expectation or anything like that. But God, let prayer be something that you draw us into. You draw us into closeness. You give us your desire. You give us your heart. And in obedience, let us respond. God, give us 
soft and willing hearts to respond to you and to respond to that call into a loving relationship with you, our Father God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.